0: Jesus died. His disciples saw it. His mother witnessed it. The Roman guards proved it. They laid him in a tomb. They buried him stone cold dead. Three days later, as the scriptures put it, an earthquake came and shattered that tomb. And Jesus came out alive as ever. And 50 days after his resurrection it says that those first disciples of Jesus were all gathered together in one place on a Jewish holiday called Pentecost. And it says as they were gathered together in this one place that suddenly they heard the sound of what was like a, like, like, like a violent and rushing wind coming down out of heaven and filling the entire house where they were sitting. And as they were witnessing this, they looked and they saw what appeared to be what the Bible will call tongues of fire. Flames that began to separate and that, 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 that came to rest on each and every one of them. And Luke writes that the Spirit of God enabled them to speak in other languages and tongues as he moved them along. This day I'm describing to you, which you can read about in Acts chapter 2, is that long-awaited day when God and his prophets said that he would pour out his Holy Spirit on people. That a sign of a new age to come, of God doing something very, very different, very, very new, would be marked by him pouring out his spirit on all people. And the story goes on that it says that there in Jerusalem were staying God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And it says that they heard the sound and they saw what was going on. And they gathered together in wonderment and amazement, trying to figure out what is happening. Because oftentimes when the Holy Spirit is poured out, something new is occurring. Oftentimes when God's spirit is on the move, it catches you unaware by surprise and you don't know quite where this is going. And you stand there amazed and perplexed and confused and bewildered going, what is going on? We hear these people speaking in our native languages, they said, and yet they're all Galileans. And yet here we are from Parthia, and Media, and Croatia. Here we are from Egypt. Here we are from Persia. Here we are from Crete. Here we are from Libya and Cyrene. Here we are from Mesopotamia. And yet all of us are hearing them declare the wonders of God in their own language. And half of them kind of went, what does this mean? And the other kind of wrote it off and made fun of them. Because when the Spirit of God comes upon you it can lead you to do some pretty crazy things. And they made fun of him. These guys have had too much wine, they said. I think of this story that marks the beginning of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. And I see something in that story that I wanna share with you today. One, that the Spirit of God was given to them individually. That the Spirit of God came to them as people, as persons in that room, that each person there, as Joel put it, whether young or old, whether male or female, even the servants, that every person there was able to partake and given this gift of God, of the Holy Spirit. How amazing is that? And yet, even though each individual person was given this gift of the Spirit, it was for a greater purpose or a greater role that God wanted them to play. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Now, these last few weeks, I've been sharing with you the importance, the necessity, the absolute bedrock core centrality of the Spirit of God in our life if we in any way want to have a relationship with God or a spiritual life, period. And there's a summary statement that we've been using. It comes from an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther, who, who in teaching on the basics of the Christian faith, just kind of penned this little paragraph. And I think it works as good as a summary statement as any to help us kind of stay rooted in what this guy, the Holy Spirit, is about and actually does. I'm going to put it on the screen here for you today. Can you read the red? Hmm? Let's go yellow next time. Try to read it with me. I believe that I cannot by my own thinking or choosing believe in Jesus Christ my lord or come to him. Stop. I wonder do you believe that? Do you do you actually believe that by your own thinking or choosing are unable to come to Christ? Do you go, yeah, I'm unable to come to Christ. I would never come to Christ of my own accord. By my own volition, I would never seek God. Because that's what he's saying. And that's what he's challenging you to believe. Whether right or wrong, we can leave that to another discussion. But let's not just say things that we don't mean. Take in the words for a minute and allow it to challenge and argue with him in that even if you'd like. But if it is true can you start to see how absolutely central the Spirit of God then happens to be? Because if I cannot, by my own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior or Lord or or come to Him, where does that leave us? Keep reading with me. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with His gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith, In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ and the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and fully forgives all my sins to me and all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. All right? All right which I always kind of love that tagline because it's like, well, what does that mean for the rest of your stuff, you know? Like, that's kind of true. But this one, this one is true. You know, we went through and we highlighted some of these verbs of what the Holy Spirit does. And it's kind of staggering. If you dare to believe that what this, this Augustinian monk named Martin Luther is saying is true, just think of the gravity of what the Spirit does, that he, he's the one that calls you. He's the one that draws you to faith in Christ, in other words, brings you to that place of faith, of belief, of trust, of devotion. That he enlightens you. That you would never see it or know it without him. That he sanctifies you, big church word, right? It means he makes you holy. He works in you, he transforms you. And helps make you become that one set apart for God. God in all kinds of ways, and he keeps you. I love that classic line from that, that great old ancient hymn where it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. As one who's prone to wander, those words echo strong for me. And what this Augustinian monk says is that it's the Holy Spirit is the one who who binds you, who keeps you, who seals you. And in the same way, not just you, but every Christian. It's not just you. All of us, over all space and time, are dependent on him in the same way. Not only that, he works in this body, in this community, to daily and fully forgive you. Don't you think that Jesus is the one who forgives you? It's not what he says. That he daily, every day, he forgives you. Do you need to be forgiven every day? I need to be forgiven every day. I would be in trouble if I wasn't forgiven every day. How about you? But can I ask, have you ever thirsted for it? Because there's a lot of times it just kind of comes and goes and okay. But those times when when the gravity of the choices of your life and the condition of who you are really kind of just rack your soul and you thirst for it. And he says he does it daily, not just a one-time event. Living with you and part of you and in your life daily and fully, fully forgiving. Your sins. To think that without remainder, have you ever asked for the forgiveness of God but the feeling of guilt remained? Have you ever had yourselves in those places going, I know that Jesus died for me. I know that the person said, hey, it's okay, don't worry about it. But I just want to know I'm forgiven. He daily and fully forgives you and all believers and on the last day, how about this one, that we can look deaf in the face without fear and trembling because he will raise me and all the dead and give life eternally to all believers. This is what the Holy Spirit does and what was manifest out those 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead and what God continues to give. And, and one of the, the, the most joyous messages or or things that I could say from the stage today to you is that God, God desires to pour his spirit out on you. And if you are a Christian, in fact, God has poured his spirit out on you because there is no way that you could call on Jesus as your Savior or Lord without Him working in your life. God is a generous God. And God delights in pouring himself out and in pouring himself out, pouring the goodness that's manifest from who he is out with him. This is what the Holy Spirit is all about. And this is what God gives to each and every one of you. Or to phrase it another way, you could just say this, God has given his spirit to me. It might even be worth saying that out loud because, well, we did pretty well with reading. Let's see if we could do it by memory. Try this line. God has given his spirit to me. Would you say that with me? God has given his spirit to me. Now let it soak in. Really let it take you for a minute. And say it with me one more time, if you would. God has given his spirit to me. To me. God has given his spirit to me. How amazing to even grasp the thought that God would give himself to me. And he does. And it's in that exact same place though that I think those of us who have come to realize it get into all sorts of problems. Because I think what inevitably happens is that when we say God has given his spirit to me, we see ourselves as the stopping point Almost like God is radiating out from a nucleus or a core. And he's pouring out his spirit like like rays of light. And we stand at the periphery. And where the spirit of God ends is with me. That the purpose of God pouring his spirit out is for me. That the end goal of this whole enterprise of spirit pouring is me. And what I want to share with you today is how if you approach God, and more specifically the Spirit of God, with that kind of thinking, how you are going to miss what His Spirit, and by extension God, is trying to do. Because when God pours out his spirit, he pours it out to you. But by pouring it out to you, there is always a greater purpose. Now, one of the things that we want to do here at FOF that I want to do is I really want to help you fall in love with the Bible. Because I believe that what's so easily misunderstood or dismissed is chock full not only of wisdom, but of the very voice and breath of God himself who is trying to communicate to us in a very real, living way. And I want you to fall in love with it because I think when you fall in love with it, you'll be drawn to it. And if you're drawn to it, you'll be swimming in the stream where the Spirit of God uh, swims. But you can't really fall in love with something if you're not really exposed to it. So what I wanna do is i want to give you just a panoply of examples here today of how the Spirit of God has been poured out on various people through biblical history. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but I need to give you a few to give you a flavor of how this works. And I'm going to do it Rich Mullen style, which means focusing on the the weird, the strange, the difficult, the confusing, the bizarre, and often the out there. Let me start with Samson. It's a dark time for the people of ancient Israel. They've come into the promised land. We know that story of Exodus. If not, you got to read it. You got to read it. It's a great story. Just not past Exodus 20. God brings them and sets them into a covenant. And then through Joshua brings them into the promised land. But it's not like everyone just said, oh, okay. And they come against The Philistines. And the Philistines are not going to let them live peacefully in this land. And so what God does is he raises up these heroes, these champions, if you will, called judges. And there's a whole book of the Bible written about them. And Samson happens to be one. And let me read to you what happened with Samson here in that day. It says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, Hey, I've seen this Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. Old schooly harmony <laughs> His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives? Which, never say that to your kids. Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Do you have to go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But the heart wants what the heart wants. And Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. And then it says in parentheses, his parents did not know this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. So Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. And as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came rushing towards them. Catch this, the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he was able to tear the lion apart with his bare hands, and this is what I love more, as one might have torn apart a young goat. (laughs) Life was a little bit different back then, would you agree? You know, normally, I mean, you know, it's just tearing goats apart with his hands, no big deal. But whoa, a lion, dude. But the Spirit of God came upon him so that he could with power tear apart this lion with his bare hands as one might tear apart a young goat. It goes on. Sometimes later. Oh, no, no, sorry. here, Here we go. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with a woman, and he liked her. All right? God will give you the spirit. God will pour his spirit upon you, and it could lead you to some very strange things. God's spirit can give you the strength and the power to tear apart a lion like a young goat. And by extension in the story, to get that girl to like you. That's what the Spirit of God can do. It seems like something, doesn't it, for me? It was for Samson, right? For me. Let me read you another. Same guy, because he's got all kinds of cool Spirit of God stories surrounding him. A little while later, the Philistines were oppressing Israel. And Samson raises up, and he goes to fight against them. They were on the run. And they come to him, and they said, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines, because he's making trouble, and they got to get rid of the one that the Philistines are going to come keep killing him until they dispose of Samson. You following kind of the intrigue? Samson said, Swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. I'll let you tie me up, but swear that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. Again, come on. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came towards him shouting, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes of his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands." Cool enough, right? goes on. "'Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. (laughs) Then Samson said, "'With a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them.'" Do you know what the Spirit of God can do in your life? He can help you make donkeys of people. He can come upon you in power and help you make donkeys of them. Come on, you gotta love that. How about this? I wanna talk to you about a guy named Saul. Not that Saul, the other Saul. He was the first king of Israel chosen by God and chosen by the people to stand on Israel's behalf. And just like the days of the judges, Israel facing and suffering the oppression of the enemies in their midst and the oppressing nations at their gates, this time from the Ammonites. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead, which is Israel. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us and we'll be subject to you. Just don't kill us. Just don't attack us. Just don't ruin us and we'll do what you want, right? Here's what the Ammonite replied. I will make a treaty with you. Only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all of Israel. You can't make this stuff up. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. And when the messengers came to Gibeah uh, of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they wept aloud. Just then Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen, and he said, What's wrong with the people? Why are they weeping? And they repeated to him what was said. And when Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power and he burned with anger. Sometimes the Spirit of God can come upon you to stir in you a defiance and an anger to stand against the horrors and evils and cruelties of this world. Sometimes the Spirit of God can come to give you that inner strength, that conviction, and that drive to stand face to face against things that just should not be done. The Spirit of God did this for Saul. Now, let me talk about the other one. You know the one you were first thinking of the other Saul? Saul? His name was later changed to Paul. And while he was known as Saul, well, he was a terrorist. He was a religious zealot. Feeling called by God to root out and destroy this heretical Christian movement among the Jews, those who followed the way of Jesus, and he sought to stamp it out. Jesus appears to him face to face, knocks him on his butt, blinds him with brilliant light and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul's life has changed that day. Blinded by the light, literally. Literally. Not just the cliche. His followers take him by the hand and lead him into the nearest city. And there in a the city is a Christian who is cowering named Ananias. And he's heard about Saul. The Lord told him. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Now, wouldn't you love it if God spoke to you that directly? Please give me instructions to that level of detail. In this instance, he did. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. But Ananias replied, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, and he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Four case studies here today. Four examples of the Spirit of God being poured out into an individual's life. He's poured out on Samson, and Samson is able to gain power, strength from the Lord, to be able to tear apart lions, to be able to make donkeys out of people. The Spirit of God comes upon Saul to be able to stand against overwhelming forces and odds against him. The Spirit comes upon Ananias, and he's given a vision of what he is called to do. And the Spirit is then poured upon Saul, the other, and he's able to see once again. In each of these instances, we see the Spirit of God given to an individual, and there are thousands more that we can discuss. In each of these instances, we see the Spirit of God given to an individual. But what would have been wrong with the stories if, in each of these cases, these individuals were to say, Hey, Spirit of God, this is awesome. I love this. This is amazing. And it stopped there. Put another way, why did God give them the Spirit? I want to submit to you that when many of us seek the Holy Spirit, I think we seek him as an end in and of itself. That the spirit is for me. God has greater things in store than me. Because every time, and I encourage you to fact check me and challenge me, find me an exception Every time the Spirit of God is poured out on an individual, every time they experience the power and strength and wonders of what the Spirit of God can do, it is for God's greater purpose that doesn't end with me, but extends out to you. Because the Spirit of God is given not as an end in itself, but for the greater plans and purposes that God has at work through you for other people. Samson. Samson, by his strength, rescues Israel. Saul, by the Spirit of God, rescues Israel, Ananias by the spirit of God rescues Saul and Saul by the spirit of God brings the message of Jesus to rescue Israel and more so the Gentile world and by his obedience and cooperation to the spirit, you and I sit in a room like this today and when the Spirit of God is given to you. What greater purpose does God have at play? Because I can promise you this, the reason for God giving you his Spirit is not for you. I like how Paul puts it. The same Paul who we just read about. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That the Spirit is not given for you to stop there and to end there, to make you feel good, to make you feel close to God, to to encourage you of of the relationship you have with him, to make you feel strong, to make you be able to do wonderful things, to turn you into an X-Men. Oh, these are great side benefits to be sure. These are wonderful things and I love them and I seek them and I want them and I do not deny them. But if that is your goal and the Spirit of God, you've missed what God is doing to begin with. And you'll find that the Spirit will continue to move on. How does Jesus say? Like a wind blowing when and where he pleases and he will keep moving and you will be left behind. If you are the stopping point in your mind for the Spirit, you're going to miss him at least the fullness of what he's actually up to. I want to close with the final passage. Same author, different book. Where he writes to this early church, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives you? Don't you know that? Do you know that? Do you know that? So you can answer him, yes. Yeah, I do know that. And of course, if you don't or you wonder, he's daring you to believe that it's true. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in. You, you know what a temple is? A temple's not a church. A church is a place where you worship, a church is a place where you learn. But a temple is where a God lives. The ancient Israelites had a temple because God chose to reside in that place. And he says, You're a temple. You're a temple because God lives in you. But can I ask you this? As you read that line, straight up, don't you read it singularly? You know what I mean, like individually? Like you know how in English like you can mean you or you can mean you? Don't you read it as singular as, oh, I am God's temple. Right? God's spirit lives in me. It's not what it says. It's masked in the language and translation, but it's there, I promise you, and I'll show you if you want. It's plural through and through. Don't y'all know that y'all yourselves are God's temple because Jesus says, where two or three come together in my name, there I will be. that even though the Spirit of God is giving to you uniquely and individually, He only manifests through you. And if you grasp nothing else about the Spirit today, grasp this. He is a rich and generous gift of God given to you singular. But it doesn't stop there. That God is looking to do something through you by his spirit. And whatever manifestation of the spirit you have been given, well, there's a purpose in that and a greater role to play. So I'm gonna invite you to get on your feet with me. And we're gonna pray that prayer again. For me, it's it's just a way, it's a reminder of my dependency on God and not my own reason and strength. For me, it's a way to commit myself to God in the spirit and to say, Yes, I acknowledge it publicly that I need you. It's a way for me to seek the things that I want God to do in my life and through my life. And I invite you to make it your prayer to him today. We pray. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But Holy Spirit, call me by the gospel. Enlighten me with your gifts. Sanctify and keep me in the true faith. Call, gather, enlighten, and sanctify the whole Christian church on earth. Keep us with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. And this Christian church, forgive all my sins and those of all believers. On the last day, raise me and all the dead. Give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. Amen. He will. It's true. Take hold of that. Rest in that. Be moved by that. Walk with the Spirit in that. It is true.